Resorts, homes and a newly built hospital have been washed away. No electricity, nothing whatsoever. We need to be prepared for the future. I'm just holding on for dear life here. This isn't fun. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared. Plan this time before disaster strike. Every natural disaster gets worse. What happens when something goes wrong and how do they respond to it? And make sure everyone's safety comes first. Save what for dream. You must ready. Clearing roads, restoring critical infrastructure. Eventually, I know it's going to hit. It's only a matter of time. Helping your community. Helping your family. Helping you. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared. Hi, I'm Fred Hooper, and this is Pacific Prepared. It's a show all about natural disasters, climate change and traditional knowledge and how those things are all connected. And you'll hear about that through stories from right across the Pacific. Each week, we work with local reporters. They're on the ground, letting us know what's happening in this space and what people want to hear about. On today's show, a Fijian researcher is helping communities come up with ways to fight climate change and not always reaching for the most obvious solution. So we try to teach them the very basic, the very uh, things that are available uh, in their coastal areas, like uh, uh, coastal vegetation, instead of uh, trying to go for something very expensive, like maybe a seawall. Also, stories of climate change and how people have adapted to what's happening around them. And also what El Nino weather pattern might mean for cyclones this season. That's all coming up. This is Pacific Prepared. The time to prepare is now, not right before an emergency. No electricity, nothing whatsoever. You are listening to Pacific Prepared. This week from Fiji, we will hear from Mr. Albert Whippy. Mr. Whippy is currently the project coordinator for Aripa Project Call One. Prior to this, he was a scientific officer for the Institute of Applied Sciences at the University of the South Pacific. He was enrolled to the master's program by research thesis, and his research was on farming methods and drying methods of seaweed with the variety of tumbling in Kandavu. While he was doing his master's, he was employed as a staff from 2016 at the Institute of Applied Sciences, engaged in various projects like the Rescue Project, Namosi Joint Venture, Fiji Ridge to Reef Project, WASH Project by the International Water Foundation, which involved a lot of community engagements and community awareness and reach out. This required a lot of traveling and research work with data collection and socio-economic survey. He grew up on the island of Kandabo in the village of Ngaloa and attended his primary school days in the village before moving on to Suba on mainland Avitalibu. Let us hear about the work he does in conserving the environment, both the ocean and on land. Most of the, the projects were mainly based on uh, waste management and uh, uh, coastal rehabilitation and uh, mangrove rehabilitation and other uh, marine and uh, terrestrial uh, projects uh, within the communities. And uh, one of the, the highlights of uh, these various projects uh, 
uh, were that the, the, the communities uh, themselves were made aware of how to look after the, the environment, especially uh, how they can uh, uh, minimize or control uh, coastal erosion. So we try to, to teach them the very basic, the very uh, things that are available uh, in their coastal areas, like uh, uh, coastal vegetation, instead of uh, trying to go for something very expensive, like maybe a seawall, uh, they can always uh, opt for uh, planting uh, coastal vegetations, which are readily available as a way to to protect their, their coast. And another one is uh, uh, we try to encourage them not to cut uh, mangrove uh, uh, trees because they are very important not only they 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 protect the coast they are also uh, uh, filters uh, waste that uh, runs off from the from from the land and also their habitats to the, the the creatures that are living in the sea so those are some of the very basic things that we teach our communities mm-hmm. and also we try to, to teach them how to, to separate the different uh, types of waste. Because uh, as you, you may have noticed, when we go to the, the different communities, you see that all the, the waste are all uh, put in the, the same place. So we try to teach them the very basic of trying to separate. These are the waste that needs to go to the garden as uh, decompose, and these are the ones that you need to bury, and these are the ones that needs to go to the incinerator. Uh, just a way of uh, managing their waste. And uh, what we have left with them is that uh, when, we, when we return from the, the communities, they're able to make the incinerators, uh, dig the, 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 the waste pits, and also have uh, decomposed sites for all their leftovers, maybe from the peelings of the vegetables and uh, other things that can easily decompose and change into fertilizers. So those are some of the things that we have done with the communities. And not only that, apart from that, for marine activities, we have tried to to teach them how to look after their their coral reefs and also how to monitor the uh, the the health of their coral by doing some transects uh, maybe at every quarter or every uh, six months just to see whether their their reefs are uh, healthy or they need to do something about it by doing transect and uh, fish counting and uh, look at uh, the other organisms that are living in the marine ecosystem. So basically, those are some of the things that we have done with uh, the communities. And the last one that I was involved with was the eradication of uh, African tulips. So it's basically teaching the community the methods or the treatments to remove or destroy African tulip, not only in the buffer zone of uh, Soviet Basin, but anywhere in the plantation or or near their their compounds. Mr. Weepy executed some of these projects on the island of Kandabu, located in the southern part of Fiji, Waindina, that's in the province of Naitasiri, Natewa, Tonuloa, and Dongutuki in the province of Madhuata, both in the northern part of Fiji. I am Chosaya Nanunga, reporting from Fiji. And thank you to Pacific Prepared Reporter and freelance journalist Josiah Nanunga for that story from Fiji. My name is Fred Hooper and you're listening to Pacific Prepared. People's lives have been affected by a disaster. Know what to do. 
know what to do. Know what to do. Clearing roads, restoring critical infrastructure. All the signs are coming, so we have to prepare. Be prepared. Pacific prepared. How would you tell your family that you had to leave your home? Imagine having that conversation. It's something that nobody wants to do. Mani Atalia is from Tuvalu. And like most people would be, he doesn't really want to have this conversation. But it's something that's on his mind more and more every year. Despite the fact that we see literally that we are sinking and drowning, and yet, you know, the world seems to be not listening to us. This story comes from a little earlier in 2023. Hi, my name is Maina Dalia, and I'm from Tuvalu. Currently, I just completed my um, um, doctorate studies at the um, Charles State University in Australia, so I'm back home now, okay. back in Tuvalu, and I'm not working at the moment. Well, I, I have been doing um, advocacy work on, on climate change for quite a time, over a decade, and I have been working for, for the Tuvalu Association of NGOs and also for the church in Tuvalu, but particularly for the Tuvalu Climate Action Network. So I've been doing quite a lot of uh, advocacy work in the region and also in the international arena. Oh, okay. And what sort of things have you found that are major hurdles for places like Tuvalu, where you come from, what are the sort of major challenges that you face in terms of not just climate change, but getting the climate change message outside of Tuvalu? Well, the um, major challenge for us in, in Tuvalu and other low-lying atolls, it's not just the fact of being remote and being isolated from the rest of the world, but the fact that um, means of um, getting our message across. You know, we, we've been doing this for quite a time and despite the fact that we are fatigued of retelling our story over and over again. So that's one of the major hurdles that we are facing at the moment, you know, is how do we get our message across despite the fact that we see literally that we are sinking and drowning and yet, you know, the world seems to be not listening to us. So that's one of the hurdles that we, um, you know, being small, knowing that when we go to negotiations, we will lose the fight. How does that make you feel, though, when you think about that, the fact that you might have to leave your home country? You know, I, when I started this, this work of advocacy, I always hate to talk about migration. I hate to talk about displacement. I, had to, I hate to talk about relocation and so forth. But, you know, as time goes by... And looking at science and looking at all the reaction from the international community and, you know, they're doing less. I think it's about time that we should prepare ourselves. Mm. You know, we should always come up with option B, C, D, at least to have it on the table. But, you know, I, I study in Australia for more than three years. Mm. I have opportunities to stay, but, you know, I, I don't want to stay. I still want to go back home. So let me be the last to leave Tuvalu when we talk about migration and, you know, forced displacement, you know. It, it is difficult. It is difficult to, to, to think and um, to imagine that, you know, one day you have to leave your country. One day you have to leave your birthplace. So people from outside may think that this is easy, you know, just get up and go. But for us who were born and raised in the islands, it is very difficult for us to comprehend. You know, it's, it's, 
it's not something that it's because when you talk about relocation or forced displacement, we are not just talking about people getting across. You know, we have that emotion all attached to it. You know, we have that uh, sense of belonging. We have that sense of who we are as people, you know. So it's, 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 it's a complex issue, and it's not easy to talk about migration. Have you had the discussion, though, with your families? Do you, do you talk about it in a sort of pragmatic way that, hey, you know, we may have to move. We might not like it, but we might have to practically move soon. To be honest, no, we haven't discussed those issues. And, you know, I, my kids spend more than five years out of Tuvalu. A year and a bit in, in, in London and a few years here in Australia. And yet they still want to go back home. They still want to go back to the sea. They still want to, you know, swim. They still want to live next to the sea. They miss their grandparents. They, so it's, you know, when we talk about this feeling of being forced being a forced migrant or in the future. You know, it's, it's very difficult because we have that attachment to the land, mm. to the attach, attachment to, to where we belong. So it, it is not just something that is simply that we can talk about or discuss with families, you know. Mm. If we are to migrate or if Tuvalu disappear or completely disappear because of climate change related sea level rise, we have no point of reference, you know. Yeah. People from the Middle East can migrate to Australia because of war, because of famine and so forth. Yeah. But they still have a point of reference to point to, mm. you know, to their children, to their grandchildren. You know, that, that is where we belong to. Yeah. But for us in Tuvalu, if Tuvalu is completely submerged, you know, we have no point of reference to, to make reference to that is where we come from. That is home. Yeah. I think our leaders need to do more. You know, I hate to say that we will uh, definitely have to move because it's too premature to throw in the white towel. But for me, it definitely is something that our leaders should, should, should prepare. Um, as I said earlier, you know, we should come up with option B, C and D. At least we have options on the table because crossing border is not... It cannot be. Uh, it cannot happen overnight. You know, it's, it has a lot of legal complexities. You know, it's it's not easy. So we need to have those options on the table. At least we have them. Mania Talia from Tuvalu speaking with Pacific Prepared at a conference in Canberra in Australia called "To Hell with Drowning" in April 2023. My name's Fred Hooper, and this is Pacific Prepared. What's your plan? Are you ready to leave your home? Plan now before disaster strikes. Pacific Prepared. The next person we'll hear from has had a little trouble trying to explain exactly what's happening in her country of Kiribati. Maria says there's been times when she's just wanted to throw her hands in the air because it's just too hard. But then she thinks of something. Something that really motivates her. I have a 10-year-old son and I'm fighting for his future. So I won't give up until I, you know, until I die, I will keep fighting. This story is from a conference that was held in Canberra in early 2023. Hi, my name is Maria Simon Sifang. I'm originally from Kiribati and I now reside in Sydney. I work with the Pacific Calling Partnership. And part of my role is to, to raise awareness of how climate change is affecting the Pacific Islands, particularly Kiribati and Tuvalu. 
Oh, okay. Big question. How do you do that? What 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 is the the key to to advocating for climate change outside of Kiribati and Tuvalu? Look, it's it is a bit complex. You, you know what I do is I go to the schools, the high schools, uh, the high school schools, and also um, uni uh, school, the universities and communities. And what I do is just you know tell the stories, you know, tell the stories of how the people in the Pacific have been and will continue to be affected by climate change. So what's your story? My story is my parents, when I was little, my parents used to take us, the children, to one of uh, a place, a special place. And in at that place, they would taught us um, how to weave, you know, and the girls, for the girls, my mother would teach the girls how to weave mats and, you know, traditional knowledge. And my dad would taught the boys teach the boys how to fish, how to cut um, corner, um, you know, cut toti. But recently when I went back, before my dad died, my dad passed away recently, but um, when I went back, my one of my brothers said to me, Oh, Marie, I'm sorry, we can't take you to that place. I'm like, why? That's the, a special place for the family. And then... My brother said it's it's gone, it's disappeared. So this is one of the story. This is one so, of. So when you went back to to Kiribati, you went. You saw your brother and and you said, "Hey, can we go to this place?" And that's when he said, "What?" So and when he said it's gone, do you mean it's underwater now? It's 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 yeah. It's not underwater, but it had been. It has been destroyed by the rising sea level. So. Yes, in some way, there's really nowhere to, you know, the place that we used to sit, you know, under the trees and, you know, it was gone because of erosion, you know. So this is one of the story that, you know, people um, uh, tell in people from the Pacific are telling the world that, you know, we have we are affected by climate change. And also one of my husband's niece where he's, uh, fortunately she was able to come to Australia on a scholarship to study but before she got that scholarship she was like, she said to me, Maria is this a point to study because they are more concerned about their future, you know and to me it's very, very wrong for, you know for the young people instead of looking forward for their future, they are so afraid, they're so concerned. And that's what I tell the people in Australia, you know, your children, they have their their goals, their, their dreams, you know. And also the people, the young people in Kiribati, they have their dreams, but they are not thinking about, about their dreams. They're thinking about, their, you know, that they might um, disappear because of the rising sea levels and climate change. It sounds like you've got a, a challenge to get the message out beyond the Pacific Islands, basically. Absolutely. And the sad thing is, as I mentioned earlier on, that we hardly contribute to this issue, and yet our people are, you know, are affected by this issue. And um, I've been working in this field for more than a, de- a decade now, and there are times when I'm like, no, I give up. Um, no one is listening. You know, I, I've attended a lot of um, UN 
conferences on climate change. And there were times when I, what is the point to attend those conferences when no one is listening? But at the same time, I'm fighting. Um, I have a 10-year-old son, and I'm fighting for his future. So I won't give up until I, you know, until I die, I will keep fighting. Because I know that there are some people out there in the world and in Australia that do care about uh, the, you know, other people, the humanity and uh, humanity and the issue of climate change. And I won't give up for the, the sake of my son. As soon as you mentioned your 10-year-old son then, your voice became stronger and you were like, it got a bit louder. So that's clearly what you think about when, when you do get a bit down and you feel like your message isn't getting out. You just think of your son. Absolutely. I just think of my son and, you know, if if no one is going to talk about this issue, who will talk? Uh, who, who, you know, nobody else will talk. So I will continue to fight for climate justice for the future of my son. And not just for the future of my son, it's for the, the future of the young generation of the Australians. And I really, my message to the, to the, young, to the young Australians to keep fighting for their for their future and I'm also like I also wonder what will the their grandparents their parents will say to them like oh I didn't do much at my in my time you know so I will keep fighting for my son for the future of my son and for the future of the young generation of the whole world that was Maria Simon Sifung from Kiribati just explaining how she thinks about her son when trying to explain the dangerous position that lots of Pacific countries find themselves in as a result of climate change. We need to be prepared for the future. Helping you stay safe. We have built a seawall two times, but it did no good. What happens when something goes wrong and how do they respond to it? Plan this time before disaster strike. Every natural disaster gets worse. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared. You might have heard about El Nino, the weather pattern. You might also have thought, well, how does that actually affect me and my family? One of the things that you might notice are cyclones as a result of this weather pattern. Latia Fafita is the Deputy Director of the Tonga Weather Service and he spoke with my colleague Mackenzie Smith on ABC's Pacific Beat program recently. We are looking at around, roughly statistically speaking, at around three to four tropical cyclones uh, on El Nino years. Uh, that is the average uh, for Tonga. And um, two of those cyclones could be severe in terms of category three, four, and five. So those are the, the average statistical figures of the number of TCs or tropical cyclones that we expected to affect Tonga on El Nino years. But also, not only that, but uh, we have uh, kickstarted our awareness, our preparatory works uh, within our office, in the National Emergency Management Office, calling in uh, clusters. The cluster leads, uh, for example, um, safety and protection clusters, food and livelihood security clusters, uh, communications clusters, and so on. There are actually 11 clusters within the framework of the emergency management office here in Tonga. And we are working at the moment as we speak uh, to develop or to review or to improve and strengthen um, disaster response and action plans 
because we are focusing our our efforts at the moment at the preparation stages, um, because the e- the effects of El Nino could be delayed. Because you know, um, we could um, have the El Nino phenomena established or declared, but the impacts will roll in in the next three to six or longer. A month later. And so is this the time for people to start to prepare for these cyclones and, and what can they do in this space? Yes, uh, we firmly believe that uh, this is the time to carry out uh, these early warning um, actions. Um, it is very timely uh, because um, not only that the country is still in the recovery stage, uh, from the previous Hongatonga uh, Hongapai volcanic and tsunami eruption about a, a year ago. But then um, it is in the framework of the multi-hazard uh, early warning systems uh, that drives our, our awareness and our preparation stages, um, especially in critical sectors of the country, uh, like you mentioned, the agriculture, fisheries, um, infrastructure, tourism, health, and and so on. Uh, we have uh, formed um, several um, working groups uh, with these um, relevant uh, sectors, providing them with the latest weather and climate uh, information. It's basically uh, for them uh, to tailor it into their planning and decision-making uh, for the, in terms of three to six months' time. And uh, there's ongoing uh, TV, radio programs uh, locally engaging uh, local farmers. Um, because, um, for example, uh, I'll give you an example. Um, one of the impacts here in the agricultural sector here in Tonga, uh, the need uh, to change the, the style of farming uh, to plant or to grow um, drought-resilient crops, you know, uh, crops that are resilient uh, when there is uh, less rainfall uh, to be expected uh, to be multicultural. So when a particular crop fails, there's also backup uh, kind of crop uh, to continue. Uh, not only that, but um, we have also uh, given some um, advisories to the fishery sector. It is expected and it is normal during El Nino years that the tuna fish in our in our ocean, in our waters here in Tonga, will tend uh, to migrate. So, in terms of long line fishing and um, and those type of activities, um, we're giving those uh, alerts, advices, basically uh, impact based uh, warnings and services for the people in those sectors to better plan. Um, out of, um, other alternatives and so on. Thanks to the ABC's Pacific Beat program for that story. My name's Fred Hooper and you're listening to Pacific Prepared. Disaster is part of our life and recovering is also part of our life. As you see, they're smiling despite the devastation. That's how we are. You are listening to Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared is supported with funding from the Australian Government's Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. Any views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the Australian Government. It's produced and distributed in partnership with Radio Australia and networks across the Pacific, including Radio New Zealand Pacific, National Broadcast Corporation of Papua New Guinea, Palau Wave Radio, Fijian Broadcasting Corporation, 
Samoa National Radio 2AP, Solomon Islands Broadcasting Corporation and Tonga Broadcasting Commission. If you're working on something that's related directly to this program, keep us informed so that we can tell everybody about it. Maybe you've got a story idea, a personal experience you want to share, a topic for us to cover or someone that you think we should meet. The easiest way to get in touch is to search for Pacific Prepared and then scroll down to the Connect With Us section. You can also listen back to the program if you just type Pacific Prepared into your search engine and you'll find us. Part of the aim of this program is to start conversations around natural disasters, climate change and traditional knowledge. My name is Fred Hooper. Please share any information that you've learned today and stay safe. This has been Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared.